All right, boys and girls, here we go. Sex seminar up August 12th through the 14th. After that, October 14th through the 16th. For training camps coming up, we have a self-sufficient lifter camp on September 10th in Wichita Falls. That covers a squat, press, and deadlift. Then we have a deadlift and power clean camp on August 20th in Indianapolis. And then we have a few squat and deadlift camps. We have one June 11th in San Antonio at Starting Strength San Antonio. Then another one June 11th, Omaha at Testify Strength and Conditioning. And then finally, June 11th in Orlando at Starting Strength Orlando. We have a couple more international camps. We're coming back to London July 30th for a squat and deadlift camp. And then Norway coming your way August 21st with a squat and deadlift camp as well. 5x3 Training in Baltimore is holding their 11th annual Charm City Strongwoman Contest. This is a charity event that raises money for the Almond House, which is a home away from home for folks undergoing cancer treatment. If you'd like to find out how you can donate, head over to strongstrength.com. Check out the right-hand side of the homepage down under Meets, and you'll see the Baltimore link, and that will take you to the information that you seek. Then lastly, again, we continue to look for talent in the wonderful world of starting strength gyms, looking for coaches so we can open more gyms. If that interests you, head over to strongstrengthgyms.com, check out the coach tab, fill out the form so that you can get on the list and find out where you could potentially coach. And as usual, for more information on any of the events that I've talked about, head over to strongstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. I mean, here we are again. What do you want, you know? What do you want? Every week, we're here, rain or shine, 108 outside, 14 outside, rain, snow, hailstorms, tornadoes, whatever. We're here. And I don't... I'm not convinced you appreciate that. I mean, do you? I mean, all we get is this shit. Yeah. There, there was a tornado last time you guys, or uh, tornado alarms, right? When you and Bree were in here. Tornado watch. Tornado watch, but the sirens uh, was going there, off. No sirens. Didn't go oh, okay, okay. They didn't go off, did they? I don't remember any sirens. But you're oblivious to everything anyway, so you wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> So, no, I would have remembered that. <laughs> I've been in tornadoes with sirens and shit before, and I, I take notice of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually been in three tornadoes. One when I was little bitty that I just barely remember. I just remember everybody being upset, you know. Yeah. There in the neighborhood. And... uh we had a gravel roof on our house. It used to be gravel, gravel roof. roof. Was yeah. it flat? No, no. It's a, it's a tar roof, oh, wet okay, tar, yeah, and okay. they put pea gravel on it. Yeah, okay. And it's, I don't know why they don't do it anymore, but it's, it, hailstones do not hurt a gravel roof. Mm-hmm. Does not, you can't tear up a gravel roof. Right. And the tornado sucked a bunch of the gravel off the roof. I remember that. But, uh, 
Yeah, that is interesting. They don't make gravel roofs anymore. But they uh, went across the street, tore up a house, and then kind of disappeared and shit. And there was one at the base in 64. I remember watching that in the front yard after I got home from school one afternoon. That was the first time I'd actually seen one. Makes a big impression on you. Yeah, then the big one. When you're eight. Yeah. You know, and then the big one in 79, I watched the whole thing. Yeah. That's quite a deal. That was quite a quite a deal. In Missouri, in St. Louis, we all just went in the basement. We didn't know what the fuck's happening. Yeah, I was. I should have probably done something like that in '79, but I just yeah. Not really interested in having something kill me that I can't right. see. You know, so right. I went outside in the parking lot, watched the whole damn thing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's real big. The the contact with the ground was a quarter of a mile Jesus wide. Man. What is that? Was that an F four? It was the first tornado in the United States and North America to be classified as an F five. Oh wow! First one. Obviously, there'd been others, but that's when the classification came in. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, it was an F five. It was real interesting. But anyway, that is a long way to say that. You would have remembered. We're here, and and you don't appreciate it, right? There were sirens. I would have remembered them. So, oh, you know, we give, we give, we give, and we give some more, and all you do is take and write shit like this to me. Which we laughingly refer to as comments from the heaters. Man, I don't know why I bother. You know? Get things like this. Uh, Some stupid motherfucker. No appreciably heavy squats are performed. With the head looking straight down, as shown in the video thumbnail. Somehow he knows this. Yeah. Appreciably heavy is a good. Appreciably good heavy. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean anything. It right. means that this guy doesn't. Yeah. You know, standard deal. Max C says this is revisiting our trap bar video, which continues to return dividends. Man, that's the best. That, that that's just probably the best fodder for comments. Hey, for look, any video. It's that the we, best twenty minutes we've ever spent at the Asgard Company. Yeah, <laughs> most productive video, twenty minutes. Making that video the, the most productive twenty minutes. Oh yeah, I think so. Ever. Yeah. All right. It says man, he's just. No, I'm gonna read this. Man, he's got to just keep quiet. Q-U-I-T-E from here on. Trap bar is one of the best tools in the entire gym as far as I am concerned. (laughs) (laughs) The funny part about that whole thing is we borrowed that from Gold's Gym. Yeah, that wasn't even our trap bar. We don't have a trap bar. (laughs) Where where can we get a trap bar? We had to borrow the damn trap bar from across the street. And One of I our threw members. It in the dumpster, and then uh, people used it after it's been in the dumpster. <laughs> yeah. 
We didn't clean that off. No, shit, no. We just threw it in the dumpster and then sent it back over to Gold's gym. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. All right, here is someone who is uh, posting under the name Bob Dole. <laughs> <laughs> People need to quit putting ages as an emphasis on how impressive physical things are when the people are on drugs and hormones that make them biologically 30 years younger. This is with respect to the video uh, recently of David Heon, our friend up in Tulsa, deadlifting 520 at the age of 59. After all, he is a doctor. <laughs> if you are 59 and because of exogenous test use, you have the hormonal profile of a 30-year-old, I don't give a shit about your age in juxtaposition with impressive strength numbers. I'm impressed by the use of the word juxtaposition, juxtaposition. Yeah. in the concurrent inability to spell the word quiet. Right. Yeah. Not to mention the growth and whatever else you're on. If you disagree with this comment, urine, urine. <laughs> that's, he spells that Y-O-U apostrophe R-E-N. It'd have been funnier if he'd spelled it U-R-I-N-E, wouldn't it? Ignoramus, and you know nothing about biochemistry. So shut up. Shut it in advance dorks oh good okay he does well with multi multi multiple syllables he doesn't do so well with well, he syllables. does well with assumptions too doesn't he well, i wonder if dr heon feels 30 years younger i, I don't think he i don't, he, think, he I don't think he does <laughs> i don't think he does you know <laughs> i've been around him enough to know he's just as fucking miserable as we are <laughs> <laughs> But Bob Dole here, you know. <laughs> he knows the deal. Coming man. back from the grave <laughs> to lecture us. <laughs> this one's pretty good. Not the cranky grandpa we want, but the cranky grandpa we need. That's got to be the, the plates, the right? Plates, the plates, yeah. The plates video. Uh, right here's one that says, "Good information, just don't like the way he talks." <laughs> <laughs> man <laughs> this is an itchy nose day for some reason weird allergies so that, no that little hairs oh is that what it is little hairs get oriented in the wrong direction yeah. and i can't see them but then they start touching you <laughs> you don't have that problem no uh-uh your nose is numb or something it must be but don't Which you don't you shave up here? Don't you shave that little gap? No, you don't do anything. I keep like it trimmed, but it goddamn thing won't stay that way. <laughs> Apparently, I thought I did it last night. In fact, must Look, have forgot. See, I'm prepared for the yeah. show today. Yeah, I'm looking good, man. I am a handsome guy. You really are. Yeah. Yeah. I think most out everybody. Out of the four of us in everybody here, everybody but th everybody but Bree thinks so. Sure. Out of the four of us in here, you're by far. The most handsome. The most handsome. Well, all right. 
you know, if it's true, it's true. We can all agree on that. You can't say it if it's not true, right? Right? Rusty's strangely quiet right now. He doesn't – I guess he doesn't Oh, he's not even listening. I just don't care. (laughs) He doesn't care. He's not – he doesn't care about other men's appearance. (laughs) Yes, he actually does. Oh, he does? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he does. All right, here's the the uh, a guy uh, that says about RPE is useless. That must have been a clip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. All right. Now, we hadn't devoted an entire show to RPE. That'd be, like, pointless as fuck. <laughs> That'd be it? like a 15-minute show. Yeah, it would be. What a colossal, stubborn little old man you are. <laughs> Starting strength is incredible. Fair play. Fair play. Period. Isn't that that brand of milk? Fair life. Fair life is the brand. Yeah. Oh, okay. But there's a reason people don't really know you for much else. Mm. Man, do you know how devastating that is to hear from some anonymous fuck on the internet? Right now, pressing on. Now, moving forward. Congratulations. This is about gaining 60 pounds in four months at Stardust Rank Dallas. All right. Congratulations. You took a weak, skinny fucker and turned him into a slightly stronger than average fat fucking bastard. Just like Rip did with Bree. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Another one. Gain 60 pounds in four months. Gain an absolute max of 10 pounds if you're natural, more likely five. Mm. Because without steroids, <laughs> you know. Well, he couldn't do And it, about so 50 obviously. to 55 pounds of fat. Nice work. Look, here's, <laughs> here's the bottom line, all right? Anybody that's stronger than you right. is on steroids. Yeah. Yep. way it is right anybody that's stronger than you or is getting stronger than you are faster than you are is on steroids yep because there's no other variable of course right of course. i'd like to revisit the fact that brie is a stronger than average fat bastard yeah well we can <laughs> just the stronger <laughs> what's your deadlift think 385 385 well any woman could do that that's right? slightly above average right average. slightly one what, what's the press 150 something 155 press, press. Slightly. are you squatting 305 squat slightly above average fat bastard yeah. what's your body weight 164 164 so you're almost pressing body weight right yeah most and dudes uh, don't do that. Mm-hmm. And Superman here on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> Are you sure we have to continue doing this? It's up, yep. it's up to you, Rips. Your show. But well, yes. I know it's my well, show, yes, but do. I mean, you know, I'm <laughs> Actually, looking for yes. guidance. This is, nauseates me to the point where, <laughs> I, you hey. know, as long as everybody's having fun with it, all right, fine. Time. One of these days we'll do a lover's comments from the lovers you'll see they love you 
I don't ever see him on the desk here. I know. Nobody wants to hear that. Hate's more fun. Hate's more fun, yeah. Oh, this one's pretty actually pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> this is about the barbell row, my barbell row instructional video. Bar must make contact with the belly. Easy for you to say. <laughs> 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 now that's good <laughs> that's good <laughs> alright and uh, why does everyone wear weight lifting belts have you all got back injuries <laughs> oh fuck that's a good time so that's this week's version of this week's episode episode of comments from the heaters. All right. All right, now I got to start talking about things that are actually relevant. All right. So what we thought we'd talk about today was uh, one of the most important articles we've we've ever published on the website. It's called The Novice Effect, and I'd encourage everybody to read this. If you haven't read it in a while, or if you haven't read it at all, you need to read The Novice Effect, because it is perhaps one of our most valuable contributions to the literature, as they call it, to the literature. And I don't believe uh, that this observation has ever been made anywhere in the exercise physiology literature uh, for reasons that will become apparent as we discuss this. Um, the, uh, the novice effect simply is... Uh, summarized as uh, let's see how would we say this a, an, an organism a human being who has not been subjected to continually escalating but manageable levels of physical stress can adapt to continually escalating but manageable levels of physical stress very, very quickly. And we take advantage of this with the people we start training uh, that, are, that are working with us at starting strength gyms and that are working with starting strength coaches. What we do is we bring them into the gym. We teach them how to squat while we are loading the bar with heavier and heavier weights and we take them up to a weight that is that that the coach determines by watching the movement pattern of is is the heaviest the person needs to go to that day without making a technical error in the form we're teaching at the time 
an example would be the empty bar for two or three sets of five and then 65 and then 85 and then 105 and then 125 and that looks like it looks like 145 would be a little too heavy so we do two more sets at 125 and stop that would be the first workout second workout we would go up to 135 for those three sets of five across at the end of the warm-ups and then 155 hold it 125 35 45 145 right 10 pound jumps and we'll do the 10 pound jumps every workout for three or four workouts and then we go to five pound jumps and then every time the the trainee comes into gym we go up five pounds for three sets of five and squat after the correct warm-up sequence for that amount of weight and this continues for months person can make five pounds a workout progress on the squat for five even six months if they pay attention to their recovery they eat enough they sleep enough they don't do anything stupid like go out and push the prowler run eight miles or whatever they pay attention to recovery they can do this three times a week for five maybe even six months and we see this all the time this is normal this is normal okay and uh the trick is that biological organisms are all equipped through their dna to adapt to stress it's just basic fundamental biology you take a fish out of a body of cold water and put him into a body of hot water and he can't adapt and he'll die right but you take that same fish and you leave him where he is and you gradually increase the temperature of the water he adapts because if he couldn't adapt he wouldn't be a fish he'd be dead and he's been a fish for hundreds and hundreds of millions of years and he's his biology has accommodated itself to the fact that the environment in which an animal finds itself is liable to change change is normal and if you're not equipped to deal with change then you die this is biology biology has adapted over the billions of years that it's existed to be able to handle changes in the environment and that's all we're doing with the barbell we are taking advantage of the basic principle of biology that is adaptation your ability to adapt now what we have had to learn how to do is to decide on how much stress to apply how frequently to apply it and what the mechanics of the application of that stress look like right by and by that i mean how long between sets how much rest between sets how big a jumps 
the movement pattern that we're going to use to apply the stress. And we apply the stress very carefully and with, with the use of uh, four or five different exercises. And we gradually increase. Every time you come in, we apply a little more stress. We apply stress to the organism, and the organism adapts to that stress. And it will continue to adapt to that stress as long as the stress is not overwhelming. Now, this was uh, first observed in the literature back in about 1936 by a biologist by the name of Hans Selye. And it was published in, I believe, the journal Nature. And it was a very quiet little paper. It's probably a 600-word little little article in the journal and it made the observation that if you stress an organism that the organism can either adapt to the stress or it'll die depending on the magnitude of the stress and all we have done is take that principle and applied it to strength training that's all we've done but it is a very important thing to note that nowhere in the exercise science literature has this thing been expanded upon by anybody but us. This is the most important observation about exercise that could be made. How does it work? What's the best way to make it work? What do we do if we want to improve physical performance? What governs our response to that stress? What governs physical performance and our ability to increase that performance level? All these things are terribly important, but but it's it's gone completely unnoticed. The really silly thing is that they'll they'll acknowledge it, you know, but then they'll acknowledge it, say general adaptation syndrome, and then. And then, <laughs> and then forget and, about it. And then forget about it start talking about something else. Yeah, start talking about other shit. It's very weird. Yeah, it's really, really, very odd. There's no you know? there's no connection between, okay, so here's the here's the foundational principle. What's the best way to take advantage of it? Yes. Yeah. No, it's just... <laughs> Which it took some guy, you know, sitting in North Texas to... to you know, I submitted it. this uh, idea as a about a 2,500-word paper to the... Uh, Strength Conditioning Journal back about 2000, 2001. And the premise of the, the, the paper was that periodization was not always appropriate. Depending on the trainee, periodization was either completely, and by periodization I mean Matt Vaev's undulating periodization where you manipulate the volume and the intensity and the duration and all this other, all these other irrelevant variables and uh, and you know you draw a graph and it looks like sine waves and shit but it, you know it looks like sine waves it's it's hey that's math right math's hard this must be right right and I submitted this thing, and my simple observation was that when you first start training, you don't do any kind of periodization at all other than 
adding five pounds to the deadlift every time you do it three days a week. And that's all the programming complexity that you need because it works just fine. You go in the first day, you deadlift 155. Then you go in and you deadlift 165, then 175, then 185, and then 195, and then 205. And then you need to start going to 210, 215, 220, 225, that sort of thing. And that, that will continue for quite literally months. Months. People don't normally get stuck until they're in the high 300s with this simple approach to the squat and the deadlift. It only makes sense, the current situation and the situation when you wrote that, when you submitted that paper, only makes sense if you don't agree or acknowledge that strength is important. And that's that's the deal, right? If you, if, um, and that's what's missing from everything else in exercise science is they, they don't agree that strength is going to be the the best bang for your buck, however you want right. to say it. And, no, they they, they don't. They have never made the case for strength that we have made. That quite simply is that all other physical attributes through which you interact with your environment are a function of force production. Right. That's all there is to it. Which is fucking bizarre for the Journal of Strength and Conditioning. It, it to is, not isn't understand. it? Understand. It is. <laughs> The Strength and Conditioning Journal right. does not understand the strength. You can expect that from, you know, the NASM or something, but yeah. the, the Journal of Strength and the Conditioning. The Strength and Conditioning Journal is their 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 clinical journal, and then their right. experimental journal or research journal is Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, which is both of them are not worth the paper they're printed on. But they're, nonetheless, they remain the gold standard yeah right well the gold standard took my assertion which was simply at first all you do is add five pounds of workout and that the stronger you are the harder it is going to be to get stronger so the further along you are in your strength the more complicated your programming must be in order to continue to produce results now I didn't think that that was a particularly controversial statement because it's obviously the case, right? And if it's obviously the case, you know, if the the phenomenology is that, then your theory, if it doesn't agree with the phenomenology, your theory is wrong. And their theory is that everybody has to, you know, Matt Vayev's undulating periodization. And the comment that was made to me was, uh, if you don't, understand how periodization does not apply to everyone training for strength then you don't understand periodization well that's what literally was the comment the reviewer made to me and i thought wow these guys really are that stupid here's a guy with a phd in x fizz and he doesn't understand what 30 years in the weight room have taught me and as it turns out no he doesn't understand that because he hadn't been in a weight room he doesn't know anything about it right he's a volleyball player or something yeah who just decided to get a phd in x fizz because he didn't want to have to actually get a job 
that really and quite seriously that's what the deal is you know lots and lots and lots of the time so uh the observation that i made was that at first periodization the the careful tailoring of intensity and volume and all this other shit makes absolutely no difference at all all you do is come in and manipulate one variable and that is the load it is not the exercises it is not volume it is not anything it is the load you go up five pounds and that the longer you train and the stronger you get the harder it's going to be to get even stronger and therefore the longer you are in the weight room the more critical it becomes to learn how to manipulate all of those variables none of which require manipulation at first and that was the whole premise of this paper and they rejected it not, and, and it, not, and it, not even using any terminology like novice or anything like oh, that. Oh, no, just, no. Just using, using right. terminology that everybody had agreed upon. Yes, it point. wasn't. You know, there, we didn't develop the terminology until the, you know, decided to write the book. Right. Yeah. But this is, uh, uh, no, the, it, was, it was quite simply the, uh, um, you know, it might be interesting for me to go dig that paper up and for us to publish that on the website. Maybe I can do that. Yeah. I got it someplace. It's buried in an old file someplace. Might be kind of fun to read that. Mm -hmm. But, no, we didn't use any jargon terms that we developed or anything. It's just common descriptive. You know, the principle, quite simply, all this is is the principle of diminishing returns. Yeah. All right. It's throughout science. It's observed throughout the physical universe, the principle of diminishing returns. And examples of this are easy to find. What about the approach to the speed of light? There's a real graphic example of it, right? Mm-hmm. Right? If I'm getting up off of the chair here and starting to walk, it doesn't steep. take a lot of energy, <laughs> right? steep curve there. <laughs> but as I, as I approach the speed of light... <laughs> Going down loop 11 here, as I approach the speed of light, I've got to invest more and more and more energy until every tiny little incremental increase toward the speed of light becomes an almost impossible amount of energy to generate. Approaching a limit asymptotically, that's all we're talking about here, right? But, you know, the vast majority of PhDs in exercise physiology have not even had to take college algebra, so they don't understand that. Right. They just learn the term plateau at some point. And right. Then, uh, and assume it, you know, everybody is right now is at a plateau, and we've got to break that plateau. <laughs> right. When the fact of the matter is, is novices are not at a plateau. Right. Yeah. You don't need to do anything other than add a little bit more weight at every time you come into the weight room and ladies and gentlemen this applies to everybody everybody this applies to your 14 year old kid and your 94 year old grandmother if you're alive at some level you can adapt and it applies to the former athlete who's been in the weight room before too yes so to define the term novice because this is a problem for people they don't understand uh, novice does not mean beginner at being in the weight room. It means that you're able to do 
stress recovery adaptation. You're able to add weight to the bar every workout. And, and you term. are able to add weight to the bar every workout if you've never done it before. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're a senior at the University of Texas on the football team. If you've never gone through the process of adding five pounds to three sets of five on your squat three days a week, then the potential for that method to work remains there. It remains viable until you have exhausted your ability to go through that adaptive, that stress recovery adaptation process. That's what a novice is. You have weak novices and you have strong novices. If you've got an 18-year-old kid, he's a strong novice relative to his grandfather. But he's still a novice in exactly the same way. He has not exhausted the potential for a small linear increase to accumulate into a strength adaptation because accumulation is the phenomenon. The, the, the adaptation accumulates one workout after another. 135 turns into 140. 140 turns into 145. 145 turns into eventually 365. Five pounds at a time. Now, what enables that adaptation to take place? Well, you grow. You get bigger because the way muscles get the ability to generate more force is they get bigger. They get bigger. They increase their cross-sectional area. And that's the, they hypertrophy. All right? Now, and we've talked about this on the podcast before. Hypertrophy doesn't mean 8 to 12 reps of 3 to 5 sets with 30 seconds between the, between the sets. That's not what hypertrophy means. Hypertrophy means getting bigger. And if you go from a 185 squat to a 405 squat doing sets of five, guess what happened to you? You got bigger. Your muscles got bigger because that's the mechanism by which the strength increases. And all this bizarre, fashionable manipulation with, you know, sets of eight and sets of 10 and sets of 12, it's all irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Go up five pounds. Do it for three sets of five. Do it again next time. Do it again the time after that. Keep doing it. Now, eventually, you'll, you'll, you'll hit a wall. And at that point, we've got to become more creative with our programming. But until that happens, it's possible. And if you've never made it happen, it's still there waiting on you to do it. You're still able to invoke the principle of five pounds a workout. And that's what the novice effect is. The novice effect is the fact that you can add five pounds a workout to these exercises. Now, when I say five pounds, put, let's put those in scare quotes because your press won't go up that fast. Your press goes up one or two pounds a workout. And if you're gonna if you're gonna work on your press, then you're gonna have to be equipped to take smaller jumps than five pounds. All right. Nonetheless, the principle is the same. You come in and you add weight. All right, and it works every single time it's tried. It works every single time it's tried. 
I've had the, it works for me right now. I'm 66. I've got a bad leg here. Hurt myself real bad last year. I can't press the same way that we teach. I'm having to do presses in the rack as I slide the bar up the face of the rack. And the past four months that I've been doing this, I've taken my presses up about 20 pounds doing them just this way i'm doing three sets of three and i'm adding a pound every time i do these and it's works now works for me it always works right to the extent that when you come back off of a layoff let's say you're you know pretty strong guy you're deadlifting 550 you're squatting 485 your bench is 300 you're pressing 165 and you have to take a two-year layoff. You get sent overseas or you got a job in the oil field or something like that, and you just can't train for two years. When you come back and get to where you can train again, what are you going to do? You're going to do the same thing you did the first time. You're going to add a little bit of weight every time you come in the gym. The first workout is going to be fairly light. It's going to make you sore. But it's gonna, it needs to be fairly light. Don't make the mistake that lots of guys do and try to start back where you where you stopped off because that's not going to work. All right? You got to, instead of 485, you're gonna squat two and a quarter for three sets of five that day and you're gonna be prepared for the soreness. But then what you'll do is you will recapitulate your novice progression until you get back where you were. And instead of five-pound jumps, you'll take 20-pound jumps, maybe 30-pound jumps, depending on the exercise. Deadlift will go up real fast. Squat will go up real fast. The bench and the press won't. Power clean won't either. But you've got to, you've got to start light, but you're going to recapitulate the same process with bigger increments than you used the first time the first time when you built the strength and the second time when you're recovering that strength but the process is exactly the same and okay? it's not even it's not even for layoffs if, if somebody's i get lots of people that i get lots of people that come to me with their they've been barbell training for years and their programming's all fucked up uh this is you know and the, the novice the novice nomenclature is very useful, right? In in a lot of ways, but it's also confusing to people. Um, it's it's useful because, um, well, let me let me just say this: the if you come in and you're already relatively strong, your programming is all fucked up. The the taking advantage of the novice effect, even for somebody who's training, quote unquote, right? They're starting a new process. This is an mm -hmm. excellent entry point into the correct process. You know, you can get right. somebody who's who's relatively strong, whose programming is all fucked up. All the variables are wrong. They're focusing on the wrong things. Right. You put them on the novice linear progression. You put them on a quote-unquote novice program, and they will make some progress. But more important, you now have good information and good data to proceed with more complex right. programming over the next, you know, what, however long it takes, a month or two months or three months. Right. In other words, it's quite useful to – take a person who has overly complicated their programming and simplify it yeah back to the novice level so that we could generate good data about where we actually are in terms of how much weight we're capable of lifting today and we're also going to be able to generate valuable data about 
how much we can go up next time. Right? Is five pounds of workout still in the cards? If it's not, then we've got to do uh, something more complicated along the lines of an intermediate or an advanced level trainee. But if you can go up five pounds of workout for, say, the next month, there's no faster way to obtain the adaptation than a linear accumulation of a small increment of load on the bar. That's all there is to it. It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. In fact, if you make it more complicated than that, then you destroy the ability for it to work effectively. All right? If you only revisit an increase in weight once a month during doing MAPVEVS undulating periodization program and setting a new PR once a month, when you could have done that every workout for three weeks, when you could have done five more pounds every workout for three weeks, you are wasting time. You're wasting time. You are wasting time on the altar of complexity because complexity is not useful when simplicity works just fine. Now, that principle, you know, it's kind of like a comms razor, applies in lots and lots of situations. Don't be complicated if simple works. It's just a waste of energy and time and potential and all kinds of other things. And it certainly applies in the weight room. You, you, you don't do anything except go up five pounds in weight if you can go up five pounds in weight because what are we trying to do i guess we probably should have said this at first what is strength because it all descends from that it's the ability to lift more weight person that deadlifts 405 is stronger than the person that deadlifts two and a quarter that's all there is to it there's no other analysis doesn't matter what the body weight of the guy is how much force is he producing? That's what his strength is. And this is why it's terribly important to understand the simple fact that five pounds a workout, if you can adapt to the five pounds of workout, then the five pounds of workout is what you should be doing for the most efficient increase in strength. Because what is the other analysis? Well, those are the, you know, those are what? the two key elements that everybody needs to agree upon. That that's number one, strength is important, and the number two is that efficiency matters. Yeah. Uh, if you don't agree with those two those two things, then do whatever the fuck you want. Like this isn't for you. Right. If 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 strength isn't that important to you, it's strength in terms of how we define it, which means force production, right? If that's not important to you, starting strength's not for you. And if efficiency is not important to you, starting strength's not for you. Right. If you if you have five hours to spend in the gym. And you're type A insane motherfucker. You're gonna do a bunch of stuff. You can you're gonna get real strong. Um, but if you care about being efficient, not fucking yourself up, uh, you know the efficiency deal is 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 huge. It's a big part of this. I actually saw a comment one time in response to, you know, years and years ago in response to this idea that 
the, the guy said something along the lines of it's there's it's not necessarily a good idea to go up five pounds every time you can go up five pounds there are reasons not to do that and my response would was what are those reasons right no response why would you not go up five pounds when you can go up five pounds right because you're fucking around that's right you don't want to don't want to don't want to you want to get strong how strength defined force production increase in force production is an increase in strength five pounds is force right five pounds is an increase in force production you go up five pounds or not if you don't want to go up five pounds then you don't want to get stronger and that's by definition these are just this is just arithmetic right this this is just simple logic there's no other analysis you know there's no other analysis if an adaptation can occur as a result of having gone up five pounds and that adaptation is facilitated by changes in the body in response to the five pounds then the incremental increases in strength will occur and you will drive them by adding the five pounds there's no reason to not add the five pounds when you can add the five pounds because adding the five pounds makes you stronger I, I mean, I, this is not really any more complicated than that, you know. And uh, it, it, it's you know the the this is this is a terribly important concept, and I think it's misunderstood by oh fewer people now than than twenty years ago for sure. But uh, oh yeah, you've got you've got you know uh, we've sold you've got direct competitors who use your terminology. Yeah. Sure, because there's no other terminology that works. I mean, you could try to come up with other names for it, and that's fine, but the concept is the same, right? Concept is the same. Stress, recovery, adaptation, biology, simple biology, function of DNA. The function of your DNA, right? You know, you change the temperature of the body of the water, the fish swims in. If the fish can adapt... He gets to keep swimming. If he can't adapt, he dies. We're just using a barbell instead of the water. <laughs> That's just all there is to it. So um, there are several important uh, ramifications of this. Uh, and the most important ramification of this that I can think of is the fact that, I mean, aside from the fact that if if you're being coached by a, a, a person who does not understand this principle and you're paying him to get you stronger and he's not doing this, he's not going up five pounds of workout on the weight on your bar, then you're wasting your money with him. And that's your fault. Because this ought to be obvious, right? This is not complicated material. Five pounds of workout. That's all there is to it. 
you know, you can argue about front squats, high bar squats, low bar squats if you want to, but you can't argue about five pounds of workout, okay? If you want to argue with us about the form of the exercises, we'll win that argument too because we thought about this, and it's terribly critical that we do it right, and we thought about it, and we're right, and everybody else is wrong. (laughs) Not my fault. You guys aren't thinking clearly, all right? But five pounds of workout is just duh stuff, right? That's duh level material. And the fact that every human being on earth can get stronger fast at first, when they first start a program like this, has terribly important ramifications for the exercise industry as a whole, but it has specifically important ramifications for the exercise science publication industry because the exercise science publication is in fact an it's an industry publication in the sciences is an industry unto itself okay publication is where careers are made and tenure is obtained and raises are obtained, and publication is the be-all and end-all of professional research. And I say professional research to distinguish from science, because professional research and science are two completely different things. Uh, The past couple of years if you've been paying any attention at all, has given you a a very good exposure to the difference between professional research, which is publication, peer review, all that bullshit, and science, which has got very little to do with publication. And anybody that's objecting to that distinction is a professional researcher, not a scientist. Okay. So think about this. Let's say I'm a master's candidate in ex-phys at a medium-sized Midwestern college, <laughs> right? And I, you know, need to do a master's thesis, and I've got this interesting idea about how to compare sets of 10 with sets of five. Okay. And I have two groups, one doing sets of five and the other doing sets of 10. And I compare the two groups and I'm not particularly careful about how I select the exercises because I don't know anything about that. I'm just a simple college kid, right? I'm not careful about how I teach them how to squat or if I even teach them how to squat. Not particularly careful about any of the technical details of any of these exercises. I've just got two groups. I want to see, my ostensible reason for doing this is to see if sets of 10 make you stronger, faster than sets of five. And 
I've got two small groups. I've got 11 in one group and 10 in another group. And this is typical of a study size in a small, you know, medium-sized Midwestern college. Okay? And at the end of my study period, which lasts for six weeks, because <laughs> <laughs> I got to got to get it done. I got to write it up because sure. the semester is about to be over. And I see that there's not any difference between sets of five and sets of ten. There's some differences in you know I have them do DEXA or something like that, and it appears as though some of the some of them got stronger faster than the other ones and. The other people that got stronger and uh, ended up two or three of them were in the set of five group. And ones that got bigger were in the sets of ten group. Keep in mind, I've got ten people in one group and eleven people in the other group. And I'm going to try to draw a conclusion here. Did you use one rep max leg extensions, though? Because that's typically what happens. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I did. Yeah. Let's say I did. All right. Because it doesn't matter. Right. doesn't matter. we got a couple problems here. All right. First off, we have to understand that if you've only got a group of 10 or 11 people, then you've got 10 or 11, 10 and 11 rather, different sets of genetics in that very small group some of whom are genetically capable of getting strong, building muscle faster than others. And if the group's too small, the only thing you're going to see is 10 different sets of genetics, and you're not going to be able to establish a trend that's valid in any way. Much more important than that is the fact that you because you don't know anything about this, have not controlled within those groups for previous training history. In other words, the novice effect applies here. And the novice effect, among other things, tells us that no matter what you do, if you've been doing nothing, no matter what you do, it's going to produce a positive effect in performance. Whether you do fives or tens, it doesn't matter. If you've been doing nothing, you're going to show an improvement. And it is impossible to evaluate the efficacy of fives versus tens in a study of this type. Because there are too many other variables generating noise that you cannot possibly tease out. But guess what happens? The paper is accepted for publication. And now you're in the literature. And anybody you're can cite that as uh, evidence-based. <laughs> And if the conclusion was that the sets of five group got stronger and the sets of 10 group hypertrophied more, yeah. even though that's not what the thing showed at all, well, that's now in the literature. 
because those are the conclusions you drew from your bullshit data set. But that's now in the literature. Classic example of this. Right. Classic example. I used to carry this around with me, and I just got tired of dealing with it. But there was a, there was a paper published by some guys out of a university in southern Australia, oh, probably 15, 20 years ago, where they compared the ability to do a one rep max bench press laying on a bench or laying on a Swiss ball. N was 11. <laughs> there were 11 people in the study. And the data is all over the place. Some kid that they managed to get into this thing managed to bench like 254 nice. on a ball, which is a testament to the quality of the ball <laughs> more, than, more than anything, right? So the conclusion was, and the data is all over the place, that didn't stop them from drawing a conclusion. <laughs> and the conclusion was there's no difference in a one rep max bench press performed on a stable or an unstable surface. Right. Nice. And that is in the literature, my friends. That's You are performing an evidence-based practice if you incorporate this bizarre... unfathomably weird piece of research into your into your data into your into your practice right yeah now this is an example of the primary problem in exercise science is a lack of experience with this kind of strength training stuff in the faculty that is supposed to be performing a guidance function of the research that their kids are doing in the program. I mean, why didn't the guy ask the kid who brought him the, the project, look, how many world records do you know of that have been on the bench press that have been set on an unstable surface? You know why that might be? Because it doesn't work. In other words, this is a stupid question. And I'm not going to approve it for your project. Well, he doesn't know I, that it's a stupid question. He doesn't know it's a stupid question. Because he's never bench pressed heavy himself. They've managed a long time ago. That, that's my point. You've, right. just, you've got faculty that don't have enough experience with the training itself to be in a position to mentor students who are trying to write stuff and learn stuff about this type of, of training that's not unique to exercise science i mean we oh, no. we deal with no. it in exercise science but but years ago the a long time ago they've uh, they've managed to 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 cut off the principles and practical experience from the evidence right yeah. so you know, everybody gets drawn to the evidence because it's easy. It's there. The statistics are there. The, the 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 papers are there, and it's easy to just where's the evidence? Here's the evidence, right? But 
practical experience and learning the actual principles is take some fucking work and understanding what those things mm-hmm. what the, what those things mean what they entail and putting it together with some evidence i mean there, there you've got something right but right um yeah that's all in every every aspect of uh of the academic world that applies to a real life job the practical experience part isn't there yeah that is uh that is one of the uh, the downsides of this uh professional research thing being substituted for science right they, they, you so know, research equals it, science, which is not the case. Which is not the case at all. Because you cannot that's, that's remove, not the you case can't remove the principles and the experience from it. No, them. you can't. And you can't substitute for for principles and experience. You can't substitute funding. Yeah, right. Or other extraneous motivations <laughs> to shit. arrive at a certain <laughs> conclusion. Yeah. Right? Yep. So. Uh, well, and they've convinced all of us to, to, to be okay with that. To be okay with, well, not, you know, not all of us, but they've convinced people to just blindly follow. The that, science. The science, the authority. They mean the literature. Yeah. When uh, they say the science, they mean the literature. And the literature is not pristine. Right. Now, our, our novice effect problem here shines a light on problems in the literature that's why we're talking about this today if you don't take into account the novice effect when you are trying to compare exercise modalities then your your data is shit your data is shit it can't be anything else but shit it's terribly difficult to do studies on exercise efficacy for this reason where are you going to get a hundred experienced lifters who have demonstrably gone through the novice progression and put them on two or three or four competing exercise paradigms to investigate the efficacy of one versus the other three? How are you going to do that? You can't do it. It's not possible to do it. But if you're going to generate data that's valid that's what you would have to do and as a result of that impossibility and as a result of the fact that the only people that have the ability to know these kinds of things are people who have worked in the weight room with lots and lots and lots of people for years and years and years You've got a situation where the science, the published science is absolutely valueless and the experience of the practitioners is all you have to rely on. And I'm real sorry about that, okay? But that's the fact. The fact of the matter is, is I know more about this than anybody with a PhD who has never spent 45 years coaching people under the bar in a weight room. I know more about this than they do, and I'm not a doctor. And so do you understand what I'm trying to say here? This is – I'm not lording myself over anybody, you know. I've talked to lots and lots of guys with PhDs in ex-phys who were sharp guys, who were top-notch guys, 
who knew exactly what the hell was going on. But for every one of these, there's a hundred other guys that haven't got the slightest idea what they're talking about. And they're all doctors. Sorry, but that's the way shit is. That's just the way shit is. And the novice effect has to be kept in mind for this reason. Because it is that fact is responsible for why the literature is so bad. It's so, so bad that it's not of any use. You want to know the best way to get big and strong? You ask somebody who's been making people big and strong for a long time what they think it is because they've got it figured out at some level. They may not be 100% correct. But they're a hell of a lot more correct than the chairman of the department that published <laughs> the Bosu Ball bench press study. Okay? They're a hell of a lot more uh, likely to have their head out of their ass than that guy. It's good that you said ask the guy who has gotten other people big and strong. Yes. Not the guy who's gotten big and strong himself. Not the guy who's gotten big and strong himself. Because once again, not. we're in the lap of genetics right. there, you know. We're lap, We're in firmly in the lap of the genetics because if you're if you got the genetics to be big and strong, we talked about this on the podcast several weeks ago. We, you know, bodybuilding at the elite levels is a function of genetics, and that's all. And if you don't have the genetics for big, long, fat muscle bellies and very thin skin, and have got good receptor sites for androgens and all these kinds of things like that, then you're not going to be an elite bodybuilder. doesn't matter who you are, what you look like. It, what, what it matters is what you know, what you have done with your trainees. I don't get paid for how I look, which is a real good thing, right? I get paid for what I know, and I know more about this than lots and lots and lots of people because I've been doing it a very, very long time. And I'm of above average intelligence, and I'm a good observer, and I can spot trends, and I can synthesize things quite effectively. And what I'm telling you here, you've got to think about the logic of this, because if you don't understand that the novice effect has implications for all things that take place in terms of physical performance— in terms of the weight room and the fitness industry and the exercise science publication industry, it has all of that has got to be kept in mind in the context of this thing right here. And I'd invite you to read this paper. It's on our website. It's called The Novice Effect. And, uh, you know, it, it's probably one of the more important of the three real important papers that we've written. And uh, everybody that has read this and has gone through the process and has coached people through this process understands the clarity of this concept and the usefulness of this concept to physical performance improvement. All right? It's a very important piece of work for strength and conditioning and if you are not familiar with it you need to get that way 
I leave anything out? No, great job, Rip. Did I insult enough people today? No. Less than usual. Huh, all the ex-phys PhDs I insulted oh, they've, them. They've always been insulted. They should be insulted on their own. They should be insulted by themselves. Just their, mere existence. their existence should be Insulting an insult to themselves. Right. right. <laughs> oh, they're not all useless, but like most of them are. Yeah, not an exaggeration. Man. Not, really not. Not an exaggeration at all. It's terrible. I went through a, a year of an exercise science program. It's fucking awful. Yeah, it's just idiocy. Yeah. Idiocy. Yeah, I've been there too. Been there too. It's just, it's complete you know, you people, what you have just told me is wrong. But if I'm going to pass the test, I've got to say it's right. What you've just told me is wrong. And everything you've told me this semester has been wrong one way or another. And I don't mean wrong a little bit. I mean wrong. 180 degrees wrong. Nonsense. And, you know, those of you that have been to ex-phys school know exactly what I'm talking about if you've been training under the bar at the same time. It's bullshit. It's all bullshit. But if you want your credential, you've got you've to stand there and pretend like it's not. Now, that's offensive to me. And I hope that it's offensive to you at some level as well. Okay? Well, that about exhausts that topic. Did I leave anything out? Well, all right. Let's go eat. All right? Thanks for being with us today on Starting Strength Radio. We'll see you next week.